Hi, this is Matt Sleppin, and welcome to Leading Voices in Real Estate. Today's episode is another special edition. I moderated a panel discussion at the recent National Multifamily Housing Council meeting on the changing and challenging nature of managing talent in the apartment business. It was a fascinating conversation with four leaders with very different perspectives in the business, two Texas-based REITs, Camden and American Campus communities, and two regional developers, Bazuto and Saris Regis, each facing similar but different challenges in recruiting, retention, and leading their workforces. There are a few themes that I would listen in for. First, three of the four panelists focused a lot of the discussion on recruiting and inspiring young people to come into the real estate business. But the fourth panelist, Bill Bayless from American Campus Communities, has little challenge in that regard, given that he has built in campus recruiting in the student housing business. There was jealousy all around. We'll return to Bill for a separate podcast and hear how he literally built his company from his dorm room at UT in a couple of months. The other consistent theme was the critical nature of culture, paying attention and having a conscious and thoughtful culture, and, this is my words, meaning and mission in your organization. Years ago, we thought we were in the asset business. The best companies know that they're in the people business, whether it's your clients or your employees. The conversation addressed both field-level employees and corporate-level employees, which are very different. Listen carefully in that subject because the conversation often jumps between them and their very different themes. Last comment. Our panel followed a presentation by Joe Coughlin, the founder and director of the MIT Age Lab. This is the second time in several months that I heard his presentation, and it blew my mind each time. You can check out his thinking in his book, The Longevity Economy. As always, thanks to JLL for sponsoring the podcast series. JLL is one of the leading global real estate professional services firms. For more information on JLL, visit jll.com slash voices. If you're enjoying the podcast series, please pass on to your friends and rate us on iTunes and feel free to comment and send me feedback at my day job at Terra Search Partners. My email is matt at terrasearchpartners.com. Enjoy the episode. Okay, it's post-lunch. I've asked the panelists each to wear their orange pants. (laughs) And for the people in the back, you won't see most of us because we're not standing, but I'll stand for just a second. But um, so... We're going to talk about what does this mean for our workforce. How many of you work in the multifamily business out there? Okay, good. Well, this is about you. How many of you <laughs> don't do deals every day? Like most users do. So raise your hands high. Be proud of it. All the deal people are outside right now, so that's where they are. But we're going to talk about deals, but we're going to talk about organizations and people and what that means. So this means something to all of you. And we have a lot of tough things to navigate because we're both talking about kind of the folks who are in this room who are maybe mostly corporate people, but we're going to talk about what this means in the field. So corporate and field, kind of two very different things. And we're going to talk about today what it means this year, but we're going to talk about what this may mean in five or ten years for the business. So we're trying to get each of these. So we have an incredible panel, so let me introduce each of them quickly. Um, First, Cindy Sharinghausen from Camden Properties. She's the head of HR for Camden. As you probably know, Camden for the last 11 or 12 years has been in the Fortune 100 best places to work, which is no mean feat. Really hard, and it means something for our industry because they raise the bar to bring us all to that kind of place. Uh, Second, Julie Smith. Uh, So 
Chief Operating Officer for Bazudo, <laughs> which is in the DC area and more of a regional player. So we'll have two regional players, both Julie from Bazudo and then Chris Payne, who's the president of Saris Regis. Julie's on the East Coast in the Mid-Atlantic, and Chris is in the California. He was a moment late because California people are in a different timetable than the rest. <laughs> and then the fourth is a very, and, and their two businesses are family-owned private businesses versus two companies that are REITs. And the third is Bill Bayless, the CEO of American Campus Communities, based in Austin, the only student housing REIT. And the drivers of that business really different. So we have lots of different perspectives. And then, just briefly mine, um, I run Terra Search Partners. I'm an executive recruiter in the real estate business. And we don't do a whole lot at that site level thing, which is going to be half of the conversation, because we think about executives in our world. And then the second thing I do, and we're being taped today for my podcast series, which is called Leading Voices in Real Estate. Uh, the star of last week's podcast is our own Daryl Carter. It's Daryl here in the room. And so I'll just ask you all a question. I'm, we're not allowed to do advertisements, but this is not for my business. It's my podcast. How many people listen to podcasts here? Okay, you're cool. If you do and you don't listen to mine, I'll help you. Come up to me afterwards and I can subscribe <laughs> for you. If you don't, you should, especially the multifamily ones because they're so cool. And two of the panelists' companies have been on the podcast. So Camden Properties, Keith Oden was on the podcast, and Toby Bazzuto from Bazzuto. So if you want to dive into some of the things they're talking about, you can do that. Okay, so a couple of quick things. Uh, each person, well, first, what, what did we hear? What is your takeaway from what you just heard? And we'll go around, but maybe just a 30 seconds from each. What, what blew you mind from the presentation a few minutes ago besides the dogs and... Uh, and the orange pants. Yes, the orange pants. Mm -hmm. um, people living so much longer. Um, you know, if retirement used to be 65 or 55, now retirement's going to be 85. Uh, how do we employ them? How do we create growth opportunities? When, you know, he referenced he was in college, was it last education experience? Where do we give them education? How do we keep them engaged um, longer um, and at a level where four generations of people can be cohesive in the workforce? Okay, and they'll be both your tenants and the, or your residents That's and right. they'll be your workforce. Chris? Uh, I take away two things. Uh, I would, you know, agree with, with her that the longevity of uh, employment is changing and shifting how we view both, you know, recruitment at the lower levels and whether or not there's a place for them later uh, because of the longevity of, of our or tenure of our employee base. And then secondly, you know, how does technology with automation of cars, automation of employees, the robot, I mean, all these things maybe hasn't affected our business the same way some other businesses have been disrupted, but it just feels like that is bound to kind of permeate through everyone's, um, you know, employment view. And, and I think for our business, there's a lot of functionality that other, you know, artificial intelligence and some of these other uh, technological advances can disrupt that we just haven't even tapped into. Mm -hmm. Bill? My favorite takeaway is that it takes 5.6 years for the average male to finish college, which relates to <laughs> longer tenancy, so that's good for us. But so certainly, in, in a, we weren't surprised by a lot of what we heard in that student housing is the incubator for everything that you see coming in multifamily. And so, you know, it was very interesting to hear, which, which we see the confirmation of. 
the technology and connectivity that's going to continue to flow through is we are already, already housing Gen Z and seeing the needs that they have there. The, the other thing that you see that's taking place in housing that he was alluding to is people want more than just housing, they want the experience, they want the engagement. Uh, even with the seniors going back to college towns where they had all that engagement in their youth and they're wanting to, to get back to that. And so we see a lot of those things that were being discussed already happening in our business that I think you'll see follow through. Mm -hmm. Julie? Great. Well, um, I'm just thankful I have daughters and not sons, for one. <laughs> um, and then my greatest takeaway is that mom still knows best. And as a mom, that made me really happy. But it did make me think um, that with uh, this, with the sort of the aging boomers, that we have a real opportunity in our business to hire, honestly, more moms, even on a part-time basis. Um, because they really are thought to be trusted advisors. And uh, if you think of stores like the Container Store or Crate and Barrel or Williams-Sonoma, and you look at who's working in those stores, it's women like me. It's trusted, trusted moms. So um, an opportunity for us, but we would have to be a lot more flexible with how we schedule. Mm -hmm. Maybe trusted dads? No. 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 <laughs> okay, I, I, I just can't get out of my mind the picture of the guy with the stomach lying on the couch. You didn't see the dad on the screen, did you? No. I saw one, I didn't like it. So we're going to go back and forth maybe between site level corporate stuff, but maybe start at the site level. And I think, Bill, you, you said it a lot, incubator, people want services. The old model of you start as a leasing agent while you're in college, this may really be in your world, and then you kind of slowly go up the food chain. I think that, and then you, then you cap out because you can't go any further because you didn't go to graduate We're in a very unique situation in that regard. We have 3,100 employees, and 1,500 of those employees are students working part-time for us. And that becomes our feeder system. And so we take advantage of that, and we actually have a three-employee development program started with one called Accelerate, ACC, playing off the ACC and Accelerate. Uh, and then Inside Track, and then something called Lead, that we actually take those students, identify them when they're residents with us and part-time workers, and put them into a formalized employee development program being the first Accelerate step. And we actually have the majority of our managers come from that system. We have an inside track, we graduated 350 students over the last 10 years that become ACC certified. And so 97% of our property managers have a four-year college degree or greater, so it's a very educated workforce. And they have migrated through our corporate system completely to where 80% of our operation marketing leasing corporate support staff has come through that field entry-level position. And even in our investments, uh, Chris Ketley, who's here, our SVP of acquisitions, started with us 19 years ago as a student worker, all the way through the field experience and into investments. And so we're in a unique situation, and our resident base is working in higher education, all of our field staff positions from leasing manager, AGM, and property manager are almost all college educated, and it is the infrastructure that has driven our growth. And so it is very rare that we ever hire from the outside in any of our operation, marketing, and leasing positions at the field and also at corporate. It's almost completely a feeder system. We can learn from this, but we can't do this. Now, when he said 97% of your site employee, of your property managers have a college degree, Cindy, you, you either made a face or a something. <laughs> it was like, oh. Well, I'm jealous. Um, we are, we're trying to you know, bring in more college graduates um, and get them excited about multifamily and create an opportunity for a career path. We have an MID program 
about 12 to 18 months, um, capturing them from an internship program. You start kind of a relationship early on with the universities and then you know, offer the hire to them right before they finish their internship program and you know, bring them in and that's been successful uh, for Camden. You know, but we're just in the early stages of you know, hitting more markets and doing that kind of recruiting for a college graduate. Uh, you know, overall, build the bench now. Tough labor market to start, but you've got to do it. So I was in line at lunch with some of Chris's colleagues, and we were talking about this panel and putting you on the spot, and one of the lines was, property management. Like, what kind of career is that? Who would go into <laughs> that? How do we get those people? Yeah. And this particularly in Southern Cal, which is tough. Yeah. But comment from your standpoint on that. Yeah, I mean, again, we don't have a sort of embedded pipeline of students to draw from. Um, you know, I, I would tell you that we're, we're recruiting all up and down the spectrum of variety of industries. Probably the most, uh, you know, success we have comes either out of retail or hospitality, just as a general transition. Um, it seems to be a um, feeling like an upgrade to uh, a fair amount of folks who are moving from one sort of product type to another. Uh, but the recruitment is constant. It's, it's a, it's an, it, it is the heart and soul of our business. We are constantly recruiting. Turnover is always higher than we want, although, you know, feeling like it's at a pretty reasonable level, but it's, it's it, it, particularly at the younger ages, this generation in general, you know, it is a tough business to be on site working with volumes of people who have problems. So some people just burn out in general, and we're always trying to be very proactive on ensuring people are, you know, uh, the highest performers are well compensated. They're moved to different opportunities. We're grooming them through uh, management programs. Um, but in general, it is a perpetual recruiting cycle. And how do you, when they move from retail or yeah. those other places into multifamily management, do they see this as a career? And how do you foster uh, right, that? To take it back to the career, I think the answer is some of them do. Some of them see it as a job, as sort of a stepping stone to some other career. Um, but we, we do correlate the higher performers and their propensity to see this as a career is highly correlated. I mean, they're, they're there, it exists. And we you know, have a fair amount of our, you know, we'll call it senior property managers, senior teams that move on to more of leadership roles, absolutely see it as, as a career. And we spend a lot of time stimulating that thought that there is a career to be had here. And that comes with culture and some of the other aspects of why you'd wanna be in a organi specific organization and highlighting that. but. Um, I mean, it's not for everyone. You know, there's no 100% capture rate here. It's, uh, but there's definitely a career to be had, and there's a lot of places to move within the organization of property management, and then, in some cases, laterally or up into other aspects of the organization. Mm -hmm. Julie, comments? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, right now it's a buyer's market for people out looking for jobs. There are more jobs than there are really good candidates, and so. Um, you know, we have a very active uh, college recruiting program. We have a big internship program. It creates a really nice pipeline of, of uh, good trained candidates for us. But we've really spent a lot of time over the last few years really focused on our employment brand. 
because it's all about the funnel. It's no different than leads for an apartment community of leads for jobs. And it was fascinating to me. My daughter graduated from college in May, and so she was um, nice enough to sort of let me in on her job search. And I literally would watch her. She would get recruited on LinkedIn, and LinkedIn is a huge source for recruiting today. And then she would look at the opportunity, we'd sort of chat about it, and then she would go to the website, she would literally go to the CEO and the executive structure to see if it was a company where she felt she had opportunities, if there was some diversity at the top of the organization. And then from there she would bounce to uh, Glassdoor, and then she would read the reviews of the company, and then she would check it out with her friends if she knew anyone who was working there, and then she'd decide if she was going to interview. You know, and here she was, uh, you know, a research analyst. That's what she wanted to do. And so she was really, really particular, and to the point where she thought, you know what, I'm not just taking any job. So she worked for Lululemon until she found her perfect job. And, you know, and that Which was, was fine. Which was, just curious. What's that? Which was the perfect job. She's a research analyst for, for a global communications firm. That's what she wanted. So it, it's just sort of fascinating to me. And so you could do all of this, and if your CEO has like a 75% approval rating, you're not getting an interview. Or if you have three stars or two and a half stars, you're not getting a look at that candidate. And so, you know, we've spent a lot of time thinking about the whole experience of interviewing, the whole experience, you know, what the first touch is like. It's exactly like what we do to rent an apartment. And um, we, we haven't always looked at it that way. We always thought that we're the ones in control, but they're really in control. Mm -hmm. and, and what does this mean from Fortune 100 best places to work? How does this capture rate and creating careers differ for you guys? Because you clearly invest a lot in that. So Camden's invested um, a lot in culture from day one. Um, it was the one premise that Rick and Keith were sure of, that they wanted to create a great workplace, one that employees felt valued and that they could have fun. So, you know, when you hear people talk about culture and they say, how do I get my boss on board to create that culture? We haven't had that challenge. But we do have the challenge of sustaining the culture every day, and that is something that you have to be respectful of and be mindful of. It doesn't mean you don't make the tough decisions. It's how you communicate them and how you, you make them and let people know, let people in on the decision making. But culture does um, allow us to attract uh, some great talent. Uh, we um, have been very, very active on Glassdoor and Indeed because we know that those are two sites that people look at before they'll come to the, the, the interview. We've been doing a lot of passive, I'm sorry for all of you that we steal people, but you're probably doing it too. <laughs> uh, passive recruiting, which um, we may not have done as much in the past, you know, creating an interest in Camden that might not have been there before, and I think that's a little different than the approach that we've taken in the past. People are drawn. I, I'm not going to have anyone raise your hand on this, but some of you are below 50% on Glassdoor. None of you are my clients who are below 50%, because we only <laughs> take the ones above 50%. But if you are below 50%, what does that mean for you? How do, and you're getting people too. It means the different things in terms of longevity of people, I think quality, mm -hmm. these all matter. But let's bounce back and forth, because we said we'd talk both about the corporate level as well as the site level. We'll come back to site level. Corporate level, really interesting. 
and what drives people to build careers in real estate? So I'll ask a couple questions at once. Uh, one of the lunch conversations uh, with Bob DeWitt was, what about companies that now specialize? So you come into a specialized role, and the old Trammell Crow residential model was, you do everything. So I like that everything. But how do you bring people into specialized? And what's the career path? What do millennials see in making a difference in this business? Because maybe millennials like to do that. So where do we start? Julie. Well, you know, I think we're in, you know, we have a really wonderful business because we're in the business of creating home. And what could be more important than the roof over your head? I mean, every study you would ever read would talk about, you know, stability starts with home. And so, you know, it's a very gratifying mission. And it's something that um, it really plays well, certainly with the millennials, because they're very mission-based. I mean, if you think about, you know, these kids started doing community service when they were in junior high and high school, or they don't they call it junior high anymore, middle school, high school, and so they, um, they come out of college still wanting to give back in many ways. And so finding someone home can be incredibly gratifying, whether you're working in senior housing or affordable housing or even market rate. Um, and I also think that we're really in the business of providing experience, and that is really fun. So, you know, what I hear from our millennials is that they really enjoy it. You know, they get to use social media skills. They get to, you know, sort of use marketing skills. They get to use financial skills. And, and you have to learn the business, from my perspective, from you need to get as close to the customer as you possibly can. So I think everyone should start in the field because you have to really know what your end goal is, and that's serving these customers. The, the challenge that I see in our business right now, particularly for the millennials, and that's why we have to work extra hard at, at culture, is our business is so clunky. You know, our interns come in at the end of the season and we let them come and sort of pitch an idea and they always say, why is it so difficult? Like, why is your technology so bad? Why do you have to have, you know, so many different tools to do so many different things? I mean, they think we're dinosaurs. They just think it could be so much easier. And so they have to live with that because we're only going to be able to move so quickly in that area. So we have to, I think we have to sort of overcompensate by having it be such a fun business. I would think that's a generational thing because if I was a kid, I'd be frustrated with any industry's technology. Take them to healthcare. I mean, come on, right? Yeah. So we're probably average in that, but nevertheless frustrating for young people. You see this. Yeah, nothing, you know, it's hard to get technologies to integrate. And you might be, we're, we're right now putting in a CRM, which will replace seven softwares that we're using at the property level. Every one of those softwares has a login, you know, and they just, they just look at us like, oh my gosh, there is a better way to do this. Um, so I think it's, you know, it's just a challenge. Are we been, our industry has really been sort of slow on the technology side. This is where we're in. I didn't realize how lucky we are as an industry and a company, honestly, until preparing for this panel. Um, and, and that on the technology front, there was no technology for student housing. And so we made the decision very early on in our history that we were going to develop our own operating platform. Uh, George DeCardinus, who's our chief technology officer, started at NASA with Lockheed Martin live uh, data mining during the shuttle missions. And as George says, real estate and student housing is unique, but it's not rocket science. Uh, and, and so we actually have 30 programmers at the corporate office where we develop all of our operating platform, all of our business intelligence program, all of our app development. And it's all customized for 
our particular company in our particular industry. And it goes, we have ACC University that then does all the technology training all the way down through the field. And so we're also a more complex organization. We've done over $7 billion of develop, development. We've done over $15 billion of transactions, including with colleges and universities, where we build for them. And uh, so we have a very diverse corporate work group from business development to investments to technology, along with all the property management. So for the students coming up with us, they look at operations, that, and I couldn't agree more when you said, that base understanding of operations. Now, I started as an RA in college and worked in the field. And so throughout Jennifer Beese, who's our COO, same situation. And so everyone in the organization has that core understanding, and as those folks come up from operations, they have the opportunity corporately to go into any of those areas. And so we see a, a, a wonderful pool into the corporate office from all the students that are migrating through the process. I think we all want to get into student housing just to have a pipeline of people. This is amazing. <laughs> but so talk to me, yeah. Chris, development people, acquisition people, financial analysts, finance folks. Let's stay away from the site for a few minutes. How, how, what do young people see as a desire? Why would they get into what we do? Yeah, well, I, I mean, you get into those, that aspect of the business tends to be where most, we'll call it younger people, aspire to get to. You know, you interview somebody for a property manager, says, when can I develop the next building? Mm -hmm. Tomorrow, right? I want to get right into that. And, you know, the, the, the pool of people for those opportunities is immense, and the opportunities are very few. And for those that ultimately find their way in there, it's immediately, who's in my way, and how do I get them out of my way so I can, you know, start making the decisions on my own? And it's a very, it's a conundrum. It's a, it's not, there's not an easy path and there just aren't enough opportunities to sort of satisfy the demand. So, um, you know, what we find is trying to preach patience, trying to preach uh, the, the, the experience gap that they have. And that, in my view, it's sort of, you know, when you look at those that have been there maybe a little too long, it's a skills gap. And those coming in, it's an experience gap. And somewhere in there, we're trying to blend the two. And we find, you know, that the where this all becomes difficult is when that younger person acquires that gap and now he has all that one would theoretically need and yet you still have some really experienced people ahead of him and it, you know sometimes someone has to move out hopefully there's enough growth internally to to allow them to maneuver up and around and obviously your business often exists for this very problem, right? It's just some folks just decide there isn't going to be enough opportunity there. I mean, we're trying to be as proactive as we can, allowing for, you know, cross, uh, cross training or cross opportunities when they come up. But, you know, we're not hiring 30 NASA uh, programmers on a daily basis, so we have limitations <laughs> on how many opportunities there might be. But uh, there's no shortage of people willing and interested to be in those that arena, it's, mm -hmm. I wouldn't say it's limitless, it's just trying to find the, the folks who have the tolerance for the type of, you know, indignities one has to deal with when you're in the development business or, you know, the volume of pace that comes along with being in the investment space. It's a, it's a challenge at the corporate level because you have people who come in, A, patience is hard for younger people, yes. particularly today. But then the second thing is what I always counsel people about is what function is natural and best for you? And they all think it's acquisitions or development, but right. it might be asset management. No question. They may be built for that, and they don't know it till they try it. Yeah, the internal wiring, I think, is a really hard thing to express and communicate for someone to kind of truly take ownership and accept, because everyone, again, aspires to do the coolest thing possible. And frankly, I don't think most people really understand 
most of your time in the development business is not cool. There's nothing cool about it. It's a lot of BS planning and stuff behind the scenes that are just not rewarding. It's many years till you get to that reward and people get into it and realize, yeah, no, man, I want to buy a deal every week. Let's go. Let's get an investment. And then you get in there and they realize, well, that's too fast for me. And some of it's trial and error. But I say generally part of our role is to help, you know, kind of pull out what their, who they are on the inside and make sure we're not putting them in a position to fail. Uh-huh. But, you know, I, I, I was going to suggest that you let them do a community planning meeting and that'll... <laughs> That'll turn them off development oh, yeah. for a while. No question. But, you know, it's interesting because if you even think about, like, how our industry is changing, you think about the skill sets that you need coming in. If you just look at construction alone, today I would argue if you are going to have a construction executive, you need to someone who's very strong technical skills because there's so much more technology that's being used um, in design. The buildings are far more complicated. They're taller. They've got more complicated systems. So you really need people who are, you know, very agile learners. Um, there's a lot more. Um, companies that are moving in the area of design build, um, which requires, you know, requires development skills to be able to do that as well. And so it just, it, it just feels to me like the business is changing a lot. And so what we really need to have in our companies are people who are almost utility players. So someone who could move from construction to development, from development to construction, you know, that really have, you know, are sort of well-versed in a lot of different areas. And it's challenging for us because the people who have been in the business for a long time, some of those skills are not that relevant anymore and just in terms of sort of how we do things. And we have to, we have to sort of recognize um, the potential and the experience um, that we have in our teams and what we really need to push forward. And I think that helps a lot with succession planning and you know, sort of how we think about how we're going to staff our organizations going forward. Because the business is really changing very quickly at every level. So are we allowed to talk about what happens when older people like a at least a couple me like how do we deal with those folks whose skills have slowed down or their ability to change has slowed down and their wisdom may be less relevant in a higher technology world Cindy maybe you can you're the HR person can we talk about this <laughs> yes we can talk about it um, so we all have legacy or long-term employees whose skills are not as relevant um, what we're trying to do is retrain them or give them other responsibilities that are not necessarily moving up in the organization, but keeping them engaged and using the skills that they have that they're very good at and that we still need, while moving people perhaps up into their positions that have the more relevant skills. Uh, it's a very tricky dynamic. You have, you know, People in the past thought that they could get the next promotion because they had time and service, and we're all being a little bit more uh, direct and have to tell them you're not a special snowflake. <laughs> you, you don't get it because you've been here 10 years, you know, that you need these skills, and quite frankly, didn't do a great job in the past of explaining the skills needed, so they think they're great, and we think they're meh, and they need to know their meh so that they can work on those skills and have a chance to progress in the company. You can't rule them out. Um, you know, there have been, we've had quite a few people that we thought, oh, they'll never change or they'll never adapt, and we've had great success stories. So you have to be clear and transparent with them and expect high-level change from them. A lot can do it. Yeah, and I think that's where your, like your, your employee engagement research is really important because you don't, 
You know, and we've also had the situation where you have the superstar, they're working for somebody who is, who is as Sunid describes, you know, they just haven't been able to keep up. And the sort of the young people on the team feel like they're running circles around, you know, their supervisor, and they're not going to stick around because they want to work for someone who will inspire them and who they can really learn from. It's really interesting to me to see, like in Silicon Valley, the engineers, it, it, they don't necessarily want to work for whether it's Facebook or Google or the big firms, they follow these, these sort of you know, star engineers. They want to learn from the very best in the industry to sharpen their own skills. And so I think we have to be really cognizant of that in our organizations as, as we look at the longevity because it is an industry that people stay in for a really long time. They want to so, come here. Yeah, what's that? They want to come to NMHC next year. They do because yeah. it's really fun. But, um, but you, do, you do sort of have to recognize when people sort of are maxed out um, because you could, you could lo lose a lot of talent in your organization by not recognizing that. And what happens when that person is a star? Because we're talking about the MEP people who are blocking folks, but when, yeah. when the person's really good, people want to learn from them and then yeah. go somewhere else because they have to get up and that person's blocking them, but you can't get rid of them because they're wonderful. And maybe they should go off on their own and start their own development company, but yeah. how do you do that? Any? Yeah, that's the whole succession planning challenge. This means an organization with turnover, though, which, which may be okay. Yeah, I mean, we, I, I don't know that we feel like we have to find a spot for every person, right? I mean, our, at the end of the day, we're trying to conduct a business based on our business objectives, our you know investment objectives, and, and there isn't always a spot for every star, frankly. I mean, we're trying to accommodate and make sure we have positions filled, and you know, I, I'd say a lot of our solutions are to make sure the, the next level under maybe our most senior level has really capable people, both for in case somebody leaves or some or some other tragedy, but to push them. And if they're not capable of keeping up, it becomes pretty obvious to all parties. You know, I mean, that conversation can be frank, but nobody's surprised. It's true. So let's let's keep rolling. Talk about diversity. We haven't touched that really important topic, and that's coming into our business in a huge way. We sold the demographics a few minutes ago, so it's the reality. This room has changed slowly, but it has. <laughs> Who wants to tackle that one first? And we're talking gender, ethnicity, and age. Yeah. Well, I mean, we, we have to, you know, we will be better service providers if we understand the communities that we're serving. And the only way we're going to understand the communities we're serving is if we have diverse uh, perspectives and experience um, on our team. And so it's you know, we, we had a diversity and inclusion committee meeting today that could have gone on for hours. And it's no longer a nice to have. It is a business imperative. You will not be competitive because people like my daughter and your kids are colorblind. And they are very open and they don't want to work for a company that is all the same. So they're looking, they're looking for diversity and they're, they're reading through the lines for, for what your culture really is like because they're, that's what they've grown up with and particularly in the universities, you know, they don't want to work for an organization that uh, is not inclusive. So again, it's this war for talent, right? Everyone wants access to the very best people um, and you're able to create such a richer environment by having a very inclusive environment. But in, but inclusion is the, the hardest part uh -huh. of... Uh, Bill, your work for uh, us Again, for us, snapshot. it's much easier and then nowhere right. better serves inclusion and diversity than our public universities. Yeah. 
And uh, so for us, the base of students that we're serving are a very diverse community from which we draw our employees. Uh, one thing I did think was mentioned in the last presentation is that women are going to rule the world. And uh, they are. Uh, you, certainly we look at our organization, look at the trend of just, as I, I mentioned, inside track, where we identify the best and the brightest and we groom them to, to go into leadership. Uh, I spoke to last week's inside track class, it was 32 people, uh, 22 of them were female. Uh, when you look at our senior regional vice president, which is the top operational corporate support position, we have seven in that position, five are female that have all risen through the ranks. And so, you know, we, we, we see great gender diversity in our organization as well as ethnicity because of the universities that right. we serve. But we're still talking about moving people up in the organization. Yeah. We're recruiting and, for young people. Let me ask a question. So I had sure. two searches last year and I had two separate clients. You're probably in the room here somewhere. And we were looking to inject into the organization with the excuse of a senior position, a female. And in each case, it was find a female to come in pretty high up, SVP, EVP, particularly asset management. That's a good place. How do you do that? So th that injection system. We, we, we have a very talented uh, African-American female who is a PhD in our organization, Dr. What? Felicia Shashri, who's one of our senior regional vice presidents, who started with us as an RA, an AGM, an on-site manager, region, and came all the way through the organization. We highly encourage you to continue to pursue your education while you're still an employee, given the business we're in and what we serve. And so for us, the diversity has always been from the ground up. But again, we serve such diverse communities that has always been our base of residents and employees. So for the rest of you, how do you answer the question? Well, you, you've got, you, you know, you've you got to start looking for that. If you're going to need someone 10 years from now, you've got to start grooming that person now. I mean, the, easy, the easiest way to do it, and none of it is easy, is to have a really strong succession plan in your organization where you're spotting talent potential, you're looking for dedication and to make sure that they're going to stick around with you. And so, that, so by the time you need that female Grown. CFO, there. they're there. They're just waiting to be promoted. So that's the easy. It's really hard just to like sort of grab somebody from the outside and plant them in your organization and say, check the box. Okay, now I have a woman because that woman has no relationships in your organization. I mean, that's the hardest part. How is that? You know, that's a really tough slog. You know, they're going to be sitting in an investment committee. They haven't developed the relationships with other people. It'll be hard for them to have a voice at the table. There's no trust that's been built yet. Yeah. So it's Cindy? a lot easier if you've been mentored or sponsored. We're going to keep bouncing here because of time. Camden um, took a step a couple years ago and um, started to add diversity to our trust managers, which is equivalent to our board. And so now we're 30% women and 40% minority. And, and that's a good start. There you can do it from the top, um, but we still are really bottom up as far as identifying people um, and you know, grooming them, educating, helping with tuition to help promote diversity as we go through and get them into higher level leadership positions. Um, they deserve a seat at the table. They bring great value in, in perspective and experience. Yeah, and it's interesting, at best places to work, I mean, you know, how the diversity and inclusion has become a really big part of the, you know, the whole equation to actually being selected. How do you get to be this 100 best places to work year after year? What, what, what do you need to do to accomplish that, besides paying them off? But oh, okay, <laughs> so I, I have to clarify the, um, the tone of the, we kind of talked about the question, and how much do you have to pay them? 
So everybody that's applied for the Fortune application, there's no fee. You can, anybody can apply. You have to do an application. Um, you do a survey, and you complete a culture audit, which is really like, hey, what do you do? What are your policies and practices? What do your people say? Um, and that's it. That's, there's no money involved. Now, when you, you, I see you looking at me like there has to be teasing. money involved. I was teasing. No, I was teasing. There has to be money involved. <laughs> but there's, there's really not. We think culture is the single most positive influencer for our employees, residents, and shareholders. And when you boil it down to that, we would be less effective and less successful if we didn't have such a strong culture. Mm -hmm. um, and so my answer to you is going to be priceless. Uh, you know, your culture is priceless, and we have to work hard to do it. But every employee is engaged in that and participating. So the Fortune Award is really for our employees. They did it. They had some great structure. Rick and Keith founded it, but it's not you know, a Camden Award. It's our, our team members award. Mm -hmm. And one of the things we were going to talk about also in the panel, and it came up in the prior conversation, was that the business has become customer-centric. And people who now rent expect service. They don't expect maintenance no more. Mm -hmm. And I would bet that culture brings in the ability for people to better serve that customer-centric customer, to be more customer-centric that way. Right. Um, like every couple of years, our companies reset. We do something that we've probably done before, but with a new focus. And so a few years ago, we hired Andre Harris. And she did that. This is what you don't know about your company that you think you know. So technology was preventing some of our people from getting up and greeting the people. You know, very simple moments in customer service that were missing the connection, which is really what our business is about. We created a plan and rolled it out, and we are, you know, we've always hired for ability and customer service, but now it is much easier to see where we're doing well and where we aren't. Um, we have a customer sentiment score that our marketing team runs, and everybody's focused on it. And probably like many other companies, when you focus on a particular thing, customer focus goes up, right, because you know you're monitoring it. Um, and it's a, it turns out to be very well, you know, re residents renew more, um, people want to come, you know, they read the Yelp reviews, and so it's, you know, full circle, uh, positive. Any other comments on this question before we start to wrap yeah, up? Yeah, you know, I think, um, you know, we, we, we're all spending a lot of time on sort of the customer journey, the whole experience from the time you start looking for an apartment until, you know, until you move out. And, you know, there is, there is an employee journey as well, and there are pain points along the way. And I think it's really worth time investing in that process so you really understand sort of where, just like, just like with a renter, where you are at risk of losing an employee um, and, and really taking the time to do that. And you almost sort of want them to sort of, sort of be in perfect sync. If you want to provide an extraordinary, an extraordinary customer experience, then you have to provide an extraordinary employee experience. In order to get that, you have to provide an extraordinary candidate experience. So it's really the same principles that we're using, but you have to really think about how they're playing out in each of those areas. I told you the story, but I, I did a short-term rental in Philadelphia about eight months ago. I'm going to do one in a couple of weeks. And, um, 
it wound up staying in a Bazzuto property, which was just fascinating. So here I am, a hospitality client in a Bazzuto property on a floor managed by somebody else. Yeah, I still want to hear more about that because I'm so sure about <laughs> We'll talk about this, but it's really interesting because the people who yeah. are doing what they used to do aren't doing that anymore. They're serving multiple customers and multiple clients in a whole different way. Uh, I don't know how you train people for that. that. So yeah. Well, it's, it, there's not a lot of buildings that are actually doing that, sort of because because of all the complications. <laughs> well, no, because of the complications, you lose control of your brand. Um, you know, with a lot of the Airbnb and the home, just home, what's called home sharing in general, and that is that is one of the many reasons why, um, as you know, operators and owners, we are really sort of care, being very very careful about how we how we look at that uh, look at that business. Next time it will be in a dorm room. Do you guys have that? <laughs> Do you, like in the summer, do you wind up short-term rentaling your... No, we, we actually have two type of products. We have off-campus apartments that are actually 12-month leases. They're uh -huh. 11 and a half months of occupancy with 12 installments, and you turn the, all of them in two weeks, the worst time in our industry. <laughs> but then the residence halls that we have on campus in the summer months, you do camp conferences, swim camp, band camp, cheer camp, and you have high school and middle school kids coming, and that's when they determine, I want to go to that university and live in that residence hall when I go there. So it's it works. Marketing years in advance. Okay, we have a minute and 22, 21 seconds left. So lightning round for each of you. In 19, how will your company be looking at these human capital issues? And we'll start with you. Cindy. Start over there. Okay, good thing about that. But what's the headline for 19 and 20? Just make it two years, because one year's tomorrow. For us, the employee journey. We're totally zeroed in on it. The employee journey. Yeah. Growth from within. <laughs> So many things running through my mind. No, we're, Say them all. I, I, you know, for us, it's, it's a it's perpetual circle of recruitment, training, opportunities, and culture. I mean, those are the four sort of elements that we're living every day and just trying to make sure they're, you know, they're, they're living together. And ours would be build the bench for the future. Just keep building it. Don't necessarily build the entire bench, <laughs> but that's okay. We're recruiters, we're here too, but no, you're right. Go for it. Okay, thank you very much. This episode of Leading Voices in Real Estate has been brought to you by JLL. The firm's in-depth local market and global investor knowledge delivers the best-in-class solutions for clients. Whether a sale, financing, repositioning, advisory, or recapitalization execution, are you interested in how to make your ambition a reality? Learn more at jll.com voices. That's jll.com voices.